0: I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. Three special guest hosts this week, all the way from Canada, at Godchill on Twitter, one of the hosts of the This Hour Has Five Stars podcast. Welcome to Mid-South Moments.
1: Thanks very much, Stephen. I'm really stoked to be here.
0: No, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. So. Um, before we get into the Mid-South review, um, I really want to learn about more about your podcast, um, which has been going for some time now. Um, tell me about it and the interesting concept you guys follow.
1: Okay, so uh, the yeah, our podcast is called This Hour Has Five Stars, uh, and that's the number five, which will help if anybody out there is wanting to take a look for it. Basically, it's a podcast about the greatest matches in the history of the greatest sport in the history of the world, which is, of course, professional wrestling. And, uh, so what we do is we go, uh, every episode, we go back and watch, uh, one of the pro wrestling observer, but you know, Dave Meltzer's, uh, magazine match of the year. Uh, so we started with the very first one, which I believe was either 1979 or 80 Sergeant Slaughter versus Pat Patterson. And we watch the match, uh, we break it down, we review it and it's a good way to kind of learn more about wrestling history for us and for our listeners and, and kind of understand how wrestling has evolved and how wrestling has changed. And uh, and honestly, how it's very interesting to go back and see how some of these like really classic matches hold up in in the light of the present day. So we've gone from 1980, and uh, the most recent episodes dropped on Monday was, I believe, 1991. It was the Steiner Brothers wrestling over in Japan against uh, Kensuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase. So a uh, really fun match. A lot of the matches we watch are pretty easily available uh, online, uh, so you can watch the match and then see what we think. We answer questions on air. So, uh, yeah, it's a fun podcast.
0: That's great. So what's what's been uh, um, what's been the best one and what's been the biggest disappointment so far and the ones that Mounts has rated five stars?
1: Uh, okay, so inter- I'll start with the biggest disappointment. Honestly, the first three or four episodes, aside from – There's an unbelievably good Dynamite Kid-Tiger-Mask match from about 1983, which is phenomenal and still holds up really well. A lot of the first episodes, we were like, oh, this isn't very good at all. We don't really like this (laughs) match, which we were surprised. Um, There's a match that we did. It's Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood against Sergeant Slaughter and Don Kernodal. If you told me before this podcast that Sergeant Slaughter has two match-of-the-year wins under his belt, I would never have believed you, yes. uh, but he does. Uh, so he's in this tag match, I think it's Mid-Atlantic, and um, it's in a cage, and it's supposed to be, you know, it's in a cage, so it's supposed to be anything goes, right? Hmm. But they wrestle the entire cage match like normal tag rules,
0: Oh, how interesting!
1: Okay. So they're yeah. just standing there, and but they're like anything can happen. But it's like Ricky Steamboat just standing politely, holding the tag rope, and waiting for <laughs> waiting to be legally tagged into the match. And it's a really boring
0: match. Uh, so Is there any blood and guts in it, or was it just a pretty bog standard tag match but in a cage?
1: I think it's that there might be a tiny bit of blood at the end. Um, mm. It's it's worse than a bog standard tag match because it's you know most tag matches are ten to twenty, right? Uh, you know, yeah. maybe. Occasionally, you get a 30-minute, like uh, we had on the AEW pay-per-view the other night. But it's like a 45- to 55-minute tag match, oh. which means there's a lot of rest holds. There's a lot of uh, you know, catch-as-catch-can type stuff, and it is it really drags. Uh, something we saw recently that was unbelievably good was, uh, I think it's the 1990 match. So it's only about two episodes back. A uh, match a uh, Jushin Liger, who I'm sure you know and, and, yeah. and your listeners know. Um, him actually, I believe, debuting the Jushin Thunder Liger character uh, and and ring attire uh, in a match against Naoki Sano, who he'd been feuding with. And none of us on the podcast knew anything about going into the episode. And this match is, uh, is an absolute treat. Uh, you know, if you're somebody who likes work rate, great moves, great technique, it's good. But Also, if you're somebody who likes, uh, like me, I tend to more like a well-told story and psychology in my wrestling matches. It's also great on that level. Uh, and so that's that was really fun because uh, we got to one, discover
0: Sano and how great he was. Was that the one where, I've seen one of their matches, I'm not sure it's the same one, but was that the one where Liger just seemed like really, really, really pissed off at the end of it? And maybe <laughs> his mask was half hanging off? Yeah,
1: yeah. His mask yeah. is almost totally hanging off during the yeah, match because that one does get very brutal, even though it's a short, fast-paced match. Uh, what he, and what he does is um, at the end he kind of goes off and he th- throws the belt down I believe and he like goes off on some of the young boys and and I was having a hard time interpreting that aspect of the story because he you know sp- uh, spoiler alert he wins the match <laughs> but. Um, I think what I read was doing some research for it, that he was showing how upset he was that he had to go to this dark kind of rule-baking place during the match to overcome Sano. So that uh-huh. kind of adds, adds to the drama. So that is the one you're thinking of. So what did yeah. you think of that match?
0: It's so funny you mentioned that, because I tw- I remember tweeting Chris Charlton and Dave Meltzer asking mm-hmm. about, I didn't get a response from either, um, asking about, what, so why was Liger so annoyed in this? Because it, it's a great, I don't know if you aware of it there's a great spreadsheet online uh, with all new japan matches dating back like the earliest stuff on new japan world to up to date and it's got like recommended strongly recommended and like much must watch so oh, nice. i've gone through maybe the first 10 or so of the must watch and that liger match was in that so that yeah that was it's so yeah so funny that's you just you just done that so um growing up in canada what was your what was your sort of entry point and sort of time period for first being a fan of wrestling
1: So uh, I came into wrestling. uh, The first thing I ever remember being interested in was uh, the Hogan-Andre twin refs uh, belt-switching angle. Oh wow! Okay, so real
0: famous stuff then, yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, and you know, wrestling. I just remember as a child was like really big on the schoolyard. You know, like just lots of kids talked about it. I remember like there'd be urban legends about the wrestlers. Like I remember a big one when I was a kid. Was that King Kong Bundy wasn't in WWF anymore because he got his legs run over by a train wow. and had to have them amputated, <laughs> and then a couple of years later he turns up on Married with Children as Peg Bundy's cousin. So yes. yeah. you know, yeah. I knew that wasn't true, but um, for me it was yeah pretty much all WWF. Um, you know, I, I'm from about a 90 minutes northeast of Toronto, which as you might know is is traditionally uh, it was one of the first territories. Uh, as an NWA territory to align themselves with Vince and the WWF. So all through the 80s, um, if you're in Ontario it was WWF basically. Um, but interestingly, like, one of the weird things about Canada is so much of your media exposure depends on where you live in Canada. And the reason why is because that determines what American television that you get broadcast to you because you know being yeah. right over the border, we all get US stations. But they all depend on where you live. So at different times of my life, I got Western New York and Buffalo stations. Right, and and okay. a lot of my childhood, I got Detroit stations. But, you know, Dick and Kim, who I co-host this hour has five stars with, they lived in different places growing up. So they did get uh, NWA. I think Kim got UWF at some point. Oh, great. Right. OK, yeah. And, and Dick was lucky enough to have a satellite. So he grew up with with quite a lot. But my exposure was really limited. And guys like. Liger or, or Big Van Vader or even like Flair or even some of the guys on Mid-South that we're going to talk about today I didn't either see them until they came to WWF or in, I would I would read the magazines you know I would go down I wouldn't buy the magazines because I was a kid and I had a dollar a week allowance, but I would go down and and read through, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and look at pictures of Abdullah the Butcher with blood on his face and be fascinated and look at the video cassettes at the store and and look at the people on the back. So I knew a lot more wrestlers than I could watch. And it really had that kind of legendary feel, right? When you see someone like Jushin Liger and be like, whoa, what is this guy like? He looks so rad, right? Um, So that's how
0: I got into it. it the youth of today, I mean, not to not to the old, it was different in my day bit, but I think the youth today will never really understand what it was like to get a wrestling magazine. We used to get Inside Wrestling here in like maybe 1990 around this sort of time, um, right. and to see we we in the UK up to 88, we got sort of pure British wrestling with a little bit of WWF. After 90, we had Satellite TV at home, so it was pure WF. And I got a little bit of WWF, but he's probably pretty similar to you. Um, but then you'd get, you'd get inside wrestling or something, and you see Ric Flair or, or somebody else. And later, it was ECW in the mid-90s. Like, yeah. There was no way to watch it, but you knew all these all these guys were. And then when you finally saw him, it was, it was so exciting. So going back to the Hogan-Andre uh, main event thing in February '88. What was? Were you watching that on an American station or was that live on a, on a Canadian affiliate or something?
1: I want to say it was live on a Canadian station. You know, when you try to remember so far back, it's mm. hard to trust your memory. all the time. That's a tough question. Yeah. But I remember <laughs> watching it over at a friend from public school's basement, and so I'm guessing he must have had a live direct feed into Canada for the main event.
0: Okay, and that's a huge deal, wasn't it? I mean, that's the most most watched match in the history of North American wrestling, isn't it? So um, uh,
1: absolutely, yeah. So even more so than the Hogan Goldberg one, right, at the, yeah, oh, yeah, the Georgia Dome, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, as you so say, go ECW, like or, you know, getting a little older. You know, I, I I went in and out, and but like even you would know about Sabu and and Sandman and. And they were doing this crazy stuff. And I remember when I really got back into it was when I went to university. And a friend of mine that I made there had a video cassette with a bunch of like Foley Japanese stuff that he did with, like right, yeah. Terry Funk and exploding ring matches. And that just got me sucked right back in. And I was in between that and that was the kind of peak of the Monday Night Wars era. I've just been really, uh, really hooked ever since, basically.
0: So being Canadian, um, Mm -hmm. Jericho, Bret Hart, somebody else. Being
1: Canadian, a.k.a. the greatest wrestling nation in the world, pound for pound. Yeah, absolutely. uh, You know, Jericho, Bret Hart, uh, who who else we got here? Uh, Kenny Omega. Of course. uh, Yeah, yeah. Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Chris (laughs) Benoit, uh, Lance Storm. uh, The Mountie. uh, The Mountie, yeah. The (laughs) Rougeau Brothers um who uh who, who's one per, Oh, pd williams who of course yeah, invented yeah, the yeah. canadian destroyer one of the greatest wrestling moves of all time absolutely uh, yeah so it, i mean it is it is a really it's a rich heritage up here uh it's been popular across the country you know uh the promotions like stampede and grand prix in quebec uh, that have really you know had some really great history yeah yeah I mean, anyway, I, you had a question in there. I just started bragging about. Canada oh yeah, for a I was
0: while, just saying, is... um, So, so one of my question is some of your some of your favorites. So I was thinking, as, as a Canadian, I wonder whether the automatic choice is Bret Hart, or whether you were a bit late, a bit later perhaps, and liked sort of the Jericho's of this world, or maybe someone altogether different.
1: Uh, so for me, all time favorite is not a Canadian,
0: but it's Randy Savage. Um, okay. Yep. Yep. Just... He's my first ever favorite, actually. Interestingly, so yeah, probably for similar, so similar yeah. sort of time. yeah, Yeah. I
1: think so. For me, yeah, it was like Savage and then and the Rockers. That's who I really loved. So I was one of those people who all through the 90s really liked Sean and Brett. Um, you know, Brett well, is huge yeah. for me. And Brett's just such, I don't know, He's he just seems like such a good dude. I mean, I know in Wrestling With Shadows he comes off as kind of a mark for himself, but I don't know. I just find uh, Brett very easy to root for um, and I've yeah. always enjoyed him. Uh, Jericho, you know, again getting back into wrestling in 98, 99, you'd, you'd hear, or you'd see clips of, of some of the stuff Jericho was doing with like Ralphus or with the thousand and four holds and, 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 uh, and, uh, you know, how hilarious he is. So, uh, one of my all time favorites for sure. Um, Bull Nakano, uh, oh, I absolutely love, um, more recently Samoa Joe, uh, but
0: yeah, uh, I like a lot of different people. Macho, though, all time number one. Um, yeah, he, he uh, that, that, I mean, I, I wasn't watching at the time, sadly, but we, we used to get, Um, I've talked about this on an earlier episode, so we would get uh, the WF tapes released from about 90 to 91. You, you were able to sort of go back and get a tape every two or three months. Uh, but that babyface run from, pretty much what late 87 all the way through the turn against hogan which is unbelievable like the whole of the the, the act of elizabeth and and actually still to this day the wrestlemania 7 and when i was watching as it went along by that by that stage but that angle when he turned back face at wrestlemania is still my favorite moment in wrestling history me too Um, yeah yeah
1: I mean, like Liz oh, coming out and him carrying around the ring. its the best thing I've ever seen. It's in the absolute film. best. I, I'm
0: not—I'm not sure if you're a crier, but I—I I through <laughs> that one with dry eyes, sadly. Like, oh,
1: absolutely! Yeah, what an yeah. incredible moment! Gorillas going nuts. People in the audience are bawling. I mean, it really has—it really has everything, right?
0: It was perfection, wasn't it? Just, just a then, quick one on. Yeah.
1: Guys. Well, and also, the, and like I think I, I'm kind of everybody has their kind of random, like under the radar favorites. That like other people don't really like as much. Um, I'm interested to hear who some of those would be for you. Like for me, I always really randomly love the Orient Express. I think they're brilliant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I love their matches with the Rockers, and I, I still find myself seeking them, seeking their stuff out. People like that. Um, is there anybody kind of like off the beaten path who you kind of really, um, uh, really you know root I, for?
0: And... I can't think of anyone off the, off the top of my head. Um, I mean, there's been there's been a few people that have sort of come up. And but I'm but now far more popular, like my two examples are Marcy Skull and Will Ospreay. So both of those sure. guys were doing doing kind of local shows at York Hall and Bethlehem Green when Rev Pro wasn't doing sellouts. I mean, they're probably doing eight or nine hundred. And I'm saying Will, Will Ospreay was probably like 22 at this point. Um, I mean, he was in, he was in good shape. He was, he was a skinny, And I'm allowed to say this. I'm a skinny guy myself. He's a pretty, pretty <laughs> skinny, skinny chap. Um, sure. He, he's just so going, is. He's one of the best wrestlers of the world. Just just going back back, I said Bret Hart. So you, what you said about him is so true. It was so you just wanted to root for him. I my first ever live WF event was Summer '92 at Wembley, and obviously the main oh, wow. event was Davey Boy. So I yeah. was stood there with a pair of Bret Hart sunglasses around my neck, and I just was so torn. And I was like, I have to support. So I'm a big England football fan, you know, big mm-hmm. etc. So I ha- I'm like, I have to support David Boy Smith. And I like, I, I think I,
1: at that just, time nobody from the UK had held like a singles title in WWF, right? Like it was.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah absolutely right. That's the first ever singles, and still to this day, no one's ever, won- no, no uh, British wrestler has ever won what I would consider to be a recognized world championship. World if you championship. Don't count ring- if you don't count Ring of Honor, which some people would, some people wouldn't. Then we still haven't had a recognised. What? So aggressive if world if
1: if Marty manages to scoop the NWA ten pounds of gold, do you think that should count?
0: Um, I give. I've had conversations on this podcast. Well, I mean, all this is holding it now, I guess. Yeah, so. I. I so, wouldn't. Count, I wouldn't get, I, one of my earlier guest hosts was like, "That's that's the real world championship as can say. For me, I think there's only there's only you, you've got to count. Un, Whatever your views on WWE, you've got to count there two belts World well championships, I think. I think the AEW one as well, and the, and the New Japan IWGP. And, and for me, those are really the only four. What do, you, what do you think about that in terms
1: of... I agree with you. I, I mean, I love, we'll probably get into it because we're going to talk about Rock and Roll Express, who are incredibly mm. still wrestling in the NWA. But um, I uh, I love NWA Power, and I watch it regularly, But and I would like it to... It was that belt. No one can deny that it was a world championship for, oh, yes. for a Absolutely. very long time. It was
0: time. the world championship. It, it
1: was really, the did. world championship. And I love that Aldis puts it over as such. And I love that mm. Aldis calls himself the world's world's champion. That's exactly what he should be doing. Uh, just like Ric Flair did when he used to show up on WWF, right? And broke everybody's yes. brain. But um, yeah, you're right. Those are, I would say, the only four. And I would even say... I would even say for WWE, I have a hard time seeing, I think the Universal Championship is kind of the world title and the other one's like more akin to an IC belt, but um, yeah.
0: Even with the history, the other way around
1: kind of thing. The history's better, but it's how does WWE treat it? Do you know what I mean? Like I don't view it, it's viewed as the top prize within its own company, so I have a hard time seeing it as a world title.
0: Do you, do you think so one of the questions that we'll go on to Sned, but what what are your watching habits now for wrestling are you, are you really invested in lots of different stuff or do you kind of pick and choose what you're what you're actually watching
1: uh, so I pick and choose I mean I think it's an unbelievable time to be a wrestling fan obviously yeah. Um my regular stuff is um, is honestly NWA Power then second I try to watch Dynamite and AEW when I can obviously watch the pay-per-view on the weekend I watch almost no WWE I used to watch NXT every week I've I've fallen away from that I don't for WWE I usually like at the point for main rosters I would watch the Rumble and WrestleMania and I missed the Rumble this year really? WrestleMania is like, a crap too telling, for me
0: for, for a long time Yeah man. Mr. Rumble is telling yeah
1: yeah It's I just I don't I honestly what really did it for me was the thing that was keeping me watching WWE uh, was NXT and there's so many of the people I've loved for the past five years have come through there at some point but I got I became so tired with people going up and then almost without uh, exclusion kind of not being used the way that uh, I thought they should have been used and uh, Joe being one Sasha banks who's one of my favorites of recent years being another yeah. like just you could name Finn you can name name after name right um, absolutely yeah and there well you know the,
0: sure, go, go ahead, ahead. So you, well, the, you go ahead. You
1: go ahead. The reliance on part-timers and, and guys that you know. I mean, I wasn't really big on Big Gold, Bill Goldberg in 1998, let alone now, you know, <laughs> or Randy Orton in 2005, let alone now. Um, so I watch those. Uh, I try to watch a little bit of New Japan sometimes around Wrestle Kingdom or G1, and uh, love going live shows. Right, uh, there's nothing better than live wrestling. So the the podcast crew and I were um, in Smith Falls, which is a tiny town. Um you might know it in the UK because uh, you know how the Guardian newspaper has like that magazine as well.
0: Oh yes, yeah, yeah.
1: Smith Falls was on the cover this summer because Canada's largest legal marijuana factory is located there. Oh, very cool. Okay. Uh, so so I saw them on the cover of the Guardian magazine. I was like this is hilarious because it's a little town of 5,000 people about an hour from where I live. And uh they had an indie card um and uh, main eventing uh, Haku and Barbarian, and Haku, again, would be in the all-time favorites for me. Wow. I, I, I'm just a massive Haku and Meng Mark. And so I saw those boys go. Too Cold Scorpio is in the uh, main event as well. Um, so that was a great time. It was hilarious. Uh, it, was, it was simultaneously like a really terrible show, really amateurish, but also an amazing show. And yeah. Haku and Barbarian, despite being probably 65 now, still absolutely brought it in the main event. I didn't want to see Barbarian take an unprotected chair shot to the head at his age, or at any age. Yeah. Um. But I, I can't help but being amazed and impressed that he did so.
0: I mean, it was, yeah. It's one of those things that you don't want to see it, but it's almost like a bit of um, you know, admiration. Though take it. Well, what's, there's a big there's a big big time indie promotion in Toronto, isn't there? I can't, the name escapes me. I can't think what it. Uh, so what
1: is, uh, I think I know what you mean. Uh, it's the one that, um, Super Smash Brothers, now Dark Order came out of.
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. It's completely, I'm mine. And there's, uh, still ECCW in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things that's great that we get to do regularly is, um, ROH and New Japan run War of the Worlds here in Toronto yes. about every year. So we've gone to that several times and seen like, it's hilarious because it's in a tiny hockey arena, like, not a professional Ted arena. Yeah, Ted Reeve Arena is, like, a yeah. kid's hockey arena. It's, like, a beer league hockey arena. Okay. Uh, and so it's, like, watching, like, if you're watching just, like, a public park and you get to see, like, Thierry Henry and, like, Kevin De Bruyne turn up on it. Like, this is, this is like, all, <laughs> a lot all of a sudden I'm seeing... Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden I'm seeing Jushin Liger and, uh, and you know, Kenny Omega and, and, and uh, all these people, you know, turn up at Ted Reeve Arena, so uh, that's, that's definitely worth going to too. So I watch a lot. Um, I, and honestly, uh, when I do like to watch classic stuff on YouTube, which I do when I have the time, Mid-South is, is always my first choice, uh, in terms of, right. the, in terms of the historic promotions where it's like, if you could go back in time and be a regular every week, I wouldn't choose mid Atlantic. I don't think I wouldn't choose the ECW arena. I'd be, uh, you know, in Shreveport or whatever, going to Mid South shows on the regular.
0: Yeah, I know what I think. I think the I think that's a really good shout actually, because I think the ECW Arena. I could imagine that. that I'd imagine that's pro- that probably wasn't all that pleasant of a place to be going to watch <laughs> every, every few weeks. I'd imagine. I don't
1: think so. People would be a no. pain in the ass about it. Do you know I what I mean?
0: Yeah. Whereas Mid South, it's
1: just people drinking beer on a Saturday night, having fun. You know it's yeah i think i think it's the right balance of taking it seriously and taking it not seriously which yeah. i think i like in my yeah. pro wrestling
0: just, just while you're on before we get on to the review i'm interested to hear what your we'll be a little bit out of date on this but the aew pay-per-view this past weekend what, what were your sure. what were your thoughts on that uh
1: so i missed the Darby sammy match which is a shame because i love both guys and i saw some clips and it, it looked amazing um honestly the the match I enjoyed the most was the Orange Cassidy Pack match.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Which I know is weird. Um, but Pack was a guy who, when he was Neville or Adrian Neville, um, I never connected with. You know, I watched him a lot in NXT, and I always, you know, admired his ring work because it's impossible not to. But I never really cared about him. Mm. Um, and since he's debuted the you know the bastard Pack character and been in AEW, I think it's unbelievable. I think his stuff is great. Uh, I think he's just hitting on all cylinders. So almost every time I watch his matches, they're the ones I enjoy the most. I, I really hope he's the one who gets pushed up to uh, to feud with Moxley because I think that would be a really great main event feud. Yeah. Um, Love the main. You know, everything Jericho's been doing to build up to this has been um, has been has been brilliant, and I thought that that they brought it. And um, the match I was most excited about. Uh, was the Cody MJF. As I said, I, you know, I like psychology and storytelling-based stuff. And I think mm-hmm. they've told an unbelievable story. I think Cody's been telling unbelievable stories for, for a few years now. Um, you know, with Nick Aldis, with Sean Spears, with a, with a bunch of different performers. This match felt a little flat for me, though. It wasn't... I, I don't know. I didn't... I, didn't, I, 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 I felt underwhelmed. Maybe it's because my expectations
0: were too high. So what did you think? Do you know what? It's really interesting you said that because I, I, I absolutely love the tag match. I, I I thought the tag match, the tag team title match was just phenomenal. I really liked yep. all the guys in there. Um, And I, and I thought before, so what I, well, I don't it's too it's too difficult to watch these shows live. So i watch it the next day but i have a lot of toast with social media blackouts because of the time zones, basically. Yeah, must I do, yeah. I, yeah, it's tough. I've played up for a lot of wrestling pay-per-views over the years. Actually, Japan for us is much easier because most of the Japanese shows are early morning for us. Like, 10:30 AM sort of start for us, so that's actually much better here. But what 1 AM till till 5 AM ish is pretty hard going on. It. Even a, even a Saturday night is not, you know, it's not ideal. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I love the tag team match. I thought I, I thought at the end of it, I don't can't recall ever seeing a better tag match than that I thought it was great. I thought the MJF Cody match and the Jericho Moxie match had for me and I'm probably nitpicking I've got a little group of friends funnily enough Dr Goncy and I've mentioned this before it's I've got a really weird clashing of worlds because the, the football team I support in London Fulham is owned by the Khan family well, the Khan family I mean, sure I mean, Yeah, so I'm a, it's a really weird like I've 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 loved both my family grew up from Fulham so I've been Fulham my whole life and all of a sudden you've got Tony Khan Tweeting a picture, or, or I'm tweeting thing about football, but <laughs> like Stone Cold Steve Austin likes this, or Jim. It's like this is the most bizarre possible clash. Of have
1: games. you had any crossover yet? Like, have you had anybody like turn up in a Mitrovic jersey and it's like you're someone no, in, in the like one of the Young Bucks or something? Or?
0: I mean, there's a couple of guys that I, I go to football with and that are kind of were wrestling fans when everyone was in an Astrovich and they've started watching again, probably because there right. was a bit of a crossover, and it's nothing more than you'll get him, he he will Instagram a picture of like, and we're not in the Premier League, we're in the second tier. No, I know, yeah. No, I actually
1: am a huge football nerd, and so I watch a fair bit of championship. Oh, great, yeah. And and honestly, I'm a city supporter, and Man City, and I will say, before the money, I supported us when we were shit, and had John Mackin up front, but, in terms of other clubs that I like to see do well, uh, Fulham is, is is right near the top of the list. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's the ground, or they've had some brilliant players over the years. I used to like Scott Parker a lot. I like oh, yeah, I like yeah. Mitrovic a lot now. Um, so I'm I'm hoping they go up this year. I know that. Well,
0: fingers. I'm not. Sure, I wouldn't put any money on us if you're a betting man because we're we're not playing all that well at the moment. But we should see. But the the funny thing is, we'll, we'll, Tony Khan will, will Instagram a picture of a player that we've signed, and, that, and I think the, the most crossover is you'll look at the lights, like Steve Austin's like this. Cody Rhodes like this it's like what's <laughs> happened to my what has my life become where this like this really weird like weird thing is for sale. funnily enough about, about Manchester City I remember when we so we were, both of us were in the third tier, as it is, a so league One. It wasn't called that, yeah. day, but the third tier of English football. Yeah. And we went up the same league, same same year. We won the league in 99, and Man City won the playoffs. So, we won that yeah. amazing playoff, yeah, with Paul Dickhoff. Yeah, Bowl. absolutely, against Gillingham. So, so that was good. Um, yeah, back to, back to the pay-per-view. I just thought, it, it really quickly, I thought the MJF-Cody match had some problems in the uh, Cody kicked out of everything in inside. There's lots of interference. Which I don't like I thought it was a bit WCW 99. Um, and then yeah. the, the, the ring thing, I just can't. That like if it's brass knuckles, I could, I can, I can, you know, I can suspend my disbelief for that. But a diamond ring knocking someone out after he survived everything he possibly, after he's moonsaulted off a cage a week before. I saw, <laughs> like, no, I'm
1: sorry. You know what? That's I didn't even think of that. But you're absolutely right. It is terrible now that I think of it. Yeah.
0: And I what just, I thought. Is,
1: for me, it didn't have a WCW '98. It had, for me, like a 2005, six WWF. Like you same know difference. Tri- yeah, I agree. Yeah, those Triple yeah. H matches where they kept talking about how intense it was, and you just kept thinking about how
0: slow and boring it was. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, and the I, Moxie one. Um, just, just really on, on this. So I would have preferred Jericho to retain, but I understand why Moxie won. Fair enough. You know, sometimes yeah. you got to pull the trigger on a babyface. But the bit I had a rule and this is the quality, some quality control stuff. So Moxley's going into the biggest match of and perhaps I'm nitpicking too much and probably I probably am because I think I'm in the minority when it comes to this show. But Moxley's going into the biggest match of his life with an eye patch on.
1: Oh <laughs> no, I was complaining about this the entire match. Oh the wait, post, okay, good. Both Kim and Dick were like, it's wrestling, it's fine. I'm like, he doesn't have good enough peripheral vision. So he's wrestling a guy whose big move is an elbow to the side of your head yeah. <laughs> and he's going in with one eye no i was it drove me nuts and, and he, ke- he keeps the eye
0: patch on even though the eye is healed yeah on the on the off chance that jericho attacks the good eye and he can then reveal that the other eye is okay and then win i who mean, yeah. yeah. thought that yeah. i mean that is ridiculous i want to it's know, not great. I was, I was just like, come on guys, this is ridiculous. Where's the quality? Just if you want that to want to do that spot, do it right at the start of the match. But, but yeah. Anyway, I'm probably begin I thought the tag match was great. I watch Dynamite every week. I think it's been pretty good so far. But I just think sometimes you need a, you need a little bit of quality control. And I'm, and Tony Khan's not experienced enough for some of these. But then again, I think, that, I think the thing that they've got going for them, and New Japan's had this for a long time, is I think people want them to be good. Yeah, they have a lot of goodwill. Yeah, whereas generally speaking, people want WWE to be bad. And actually, even if I don't, I watch a little bit of Royal Today and there's a couple of decent segments. I don't watch WWE very much at all. Now. So more, more to do time than anything else. But actually, I think that they've got, and they they deserve it. They've built up all the bad will over the years. We've, we're pr- producing terrible wrestling for 20 years um, yeah. Well, most part of 20 years. So that, that's the most thick, part 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Like most you could pick
1: out three or four good periods where you're like, yeah, remember CM Punk for a year? That was awesome. Or remember exactly. the, the Shield for six months? You know, and that's
0: it. And yeah. CM Punk was great. And then they got Kevin Nash come out and destroy him at the end of SummerSlam. You're like, what, what, I just, what I would just watch. Yeah. Anyway, enough WWE. And let's get on with some really good wrestling. So, we'll, we'll get on okay. to Mid, Mid-South, March 10th, 1984, which is episode 235 on YouTube. Um, so, Boyd Pierce is at the desk looking very suave in a blue suit and pink tie. Mm-hmm. Nice um, tie this week. Yeah, incredible dress sense, this guy. Um, he's at the desk along with Jim Ross. Um, and Boyd runs through that we have a battle of the Expresses this week. Jim Cornette's Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express um jim ross shows the tv titles on a bracket what did you think of this cardboard bracket that They that <laughs>
1: <right>? <laughs> looked a little hastily put together didn't it i, I guess they didn't have much budget for some nameplates or anything like that
0: no they literally said in the office who's got the nicest handwriting and can you can you not write it up? <laughs> 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 um, like so even they,
1: some like fridge magnets would be a nice way to do it you know
0: anything would be better i yeah. mean you, you compare that some of the video packages and music videos they do to this and, and this is not the first time they've done this and it's not the last time either so they, they do do this in Again, in the future. Um, so, I preview the TV title tournament match between Terry Taylor and Masao Ito later on in today's episode. Um, and then Bill Watts is at ringside with Magnum and Mester Wrestling 2. And Watts says he's standing with the Mid South Tag Team champions, and that when anyone is holding a championship, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. There is always a lot of pressure internally in any team, and it gets worse when there's a problem between the teammates. The North American task has caused a tremendous amount of dissension between the two after Magnum TA was announced to be the number one contender. Um, so are you familiar with this, this angle between... Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, I think this is an all-time yeah. inner circle angle, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, some of the vignettes of, like, you know, two and TA, like, training out in the woods and out
0: by his house and the eventual yes. trail and yeah, it's great stuff. It's, it's really well yeah. told it's story. Been so, yeah. It's been so good. And um, so Bill Watts then goes quite hard on Mr. Wrestling Two, saying that he has publicly humiliated TA and challenged him on TV. And then Watts yeah. reiterates that even after all this, Magnum still came to his aid when he got in trouble. And they then throw back to the clip of Midnight Express attacking Mr. S Two after his match last week, and Magnum eventually wow. making the save before being being beaten down himself by. Great
1: save too. He does like this like. He does this like belly to belly suplex
0: and then clotheslines the
1: guy after. It's a really good fired up run in.
0: It's interesting because I was talking to a guy last week that grew up in um, in Oklahoma and went to a and remembers this as it happened and went to a lot of mid south shows um, at the myriad um, center there and he said that because I I made the point weeks ago that actually had Magnum not had his accident where would because he was young so my point was he was younger than the Ultimate Warrior. He, he had the look. He had the promos. He was brilliant in ring. Like, that belly specifically was unbelievable. He looked so good. Is this guy potentially going to be someone that could be in a real significant position in one of the big promotions going forward? And, yeah. And he interestingly said that, actually, locally at the time, Terry Taylor was actually far more popular than Magnetier, which Oh, me think interesting. A Yeah, which is really, really interesting. So, Taylor was a real big star. They said, and I think... Uh, I, you, you probably know about this more than me, but I don't really remember the Magnum P.I. TV show. Um, oh, I see. Okay, I, I watched it a lot. It was, I yeah. was big on it, yeah. So they were sa- he was saying that he that they thought that the Magnum P.I. gimmick was a little bit cheesy, but I again, I, I'm not super, super familiar with that, so I, I I think that sort of passed me by a bit, but I thought that was quite interesting.
1: I would say, like, I would let... I, we'll get into Terry Taylor more when we get to his match, because I wanted to ask you about him, but... In terms of T.A., I think he had way more charisma and was better in the ring uh, mm-hmm. than Terry Taylor was. Uh, but I have heard on other podcasts, people who know more than me, uh, John McAdams' podcast, for example, Stick to Wrestling, they made the argument that he was not a future world champion because he was already declining in terms of popularity before the accident. And oh, that kind of what exactly. we see here is the peak. Um, to agree. that I say, though, like if, you, if he does have that capability and you book him right... I mean, why can't he catch fire again, right? I yes. mean Wrestlers do yeah. go through peaks and valleys. so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, one thing that's disconcerting in this segment, which probably, which comes up a lot on Mid-South, is that, you know, these are two of the top guys in the company, and Bill Watts towers over both of
0: them. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting, because I was watching something to, something today with um, Jerry Jarrett talking about the, the talent exchange that they did. And they, they, they sent, so basically Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express. Terry yeah. Taylor and one other all went down around this time when when memphis and mid-south agreed to exchange talent um, but that but jerry Jarrett was saying that all of his guys um he sent bill dundee down to but all of his guys were much smaller than the traditional mid-south like bill watts was the number one baby face at like six two six three three hundred pounds like so there's a complete change of philosophy of the promotion around this sort of time as well which is really huh. interesting. yeah it is um, so what, um, basically uh, this, this moves on and we recap a little bit more around what happens last week, which includes a great segment where um, TA and Crusher Darso are in their t- um, TV title match. Um, and that basically, Mr. Wrestling 2 ends up throwing in the towel when Megan is caught in a submission, even though he's actually reversing it. Um, he's Bill reversing it Watt-
1: pinning Crusher Darcy. Is, yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. We're in a really good move, actually, as well. So, really, yeah. really slickly done. Um, and, and Bill Watts flat out asked him, sort of, what, what were you doing? Um, and 2 said that Tia was down for the count and had had the pell beaten out of him. And that he was shouting, I quit, I quit. Um, <laughs> and with, and uh,
1: the 2 was embarrassed. He wanted their t- – they're the tag team champions – he, want, he didn't want them to be keep getting embarrassed by how much of a coward Magnet T.A. is. Basically.
0: Exactly. Like, exactly.
1: he's really
0: being an absolute douchebag in this segment. It's great. It's incredible. And last week, I said, I, th- I thought this this whole angle was teetering. Uh, you know what it's like in wrestling? You get to a point where you've just got to pull the trigger on something, yeah. whether it's someone winning the title or whatever. And this was really teeter on the brink of being too long. Um, and then, so basically, Watt says that he's changed his story from last week. And T.A. says, what in the world is wrong with you? You know I'm not a quitter, and you know that since we've met. You've known that in all the hours of training you put me through and I've never quit. Um, Magnum says he's going to put it all behind them because they're the champions and he wants to stay that way. Um, Two says that Magnum is gutless and a coward because he hasn't accepted his challenge. Um, Two uh, two says that he's embarrassing by slapping him before and he's going to do it again. This time Magnum stops it mid-slap and he says, let me tell you something. I've tried to turn the other cheek, but I've talked until I'm blue in the face and it isn't going to make a difference. So let's get it on. It's time to go. It's go time. yeah, it's go time. So Magnum rolls in the room, takes his jacket and shirt off to a huge reaction from the crowd. Um, Always. Two, yeah, this was, is this was just so good. Two says that he's like the junkyard dog. He's looking for an excuse. Um, and if he goes in there now, TA will make an excuse that he wasn't dressed properly. Um, and the two says he wants to make it official and the match will happen. So what do you think of this? this? This this, this, is the trigger being pulled now between these two.
1: Oh yeah, unbelievable segment. Uh, you know, both guys were great. TA was great as the babyface. Two is great as the the, the cowardly, jealous heel, and uh, you know the crowd's super into it. So you know, as yeah. a fan, I just I
0: want to keep watching. It's good. The, the, the catch of the slap was just so good, and I thought that Mr. Ristin too has obviously got a mask on, but he's and it, it's not. I guess it's not facials but his body language was so good. It, he, yeah, you could tell he was almost shuddering with shock that actually Magnum says finally fired back. Um,
1: and the catch of the slap goes directly into Magnum getting his mouth in front of the microphone to promo back in a really yes. subtle way. It looks really natural, but yeah, it's it's, it's some really good attention to detail, which was you know part of what made Mid South a great show, which is why it's weird that they have like a handwritten tournament list. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and no, normally it's... the attention to detail is very solid on
0: a Bill Watts show. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I found that quite a few times when you're asking a question around like why is why is this, why is that? And especially when Bill Watts is on commentary, because he he just answers a lot of those questions, um, which is which is really, really good. Um so first match of the show is Nikolai Volkov versus Krusher as he's now known versus Joe Savoldi and John King. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard, so I, I've mentioned uh, in a couple of shows, so Volkov doesn't do the proper version, the Russian anthem in Mid-South for some reason. Um, and I don't know whether Vince told him, like, if you're going to do this gimmick on WWF television, you've got to do the proper version. But he just basically fakes this. Oh, um, really? Is that what this yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is a fake, a fake Russian national anthem. And um, it's annoying when this starts, uh, I find it a little bit grating that I think it's John King and the, the Russians in inverted commas have all got red tights on, which is a bit, a bit grating. I
1: noticed this, too. And yeah. it happens again later on during the midnights or during the run in at the end of the tag match. I'm like, everybody shouldn't be dressed
0: the same. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this is, this is pretty short. Sure. Um, John King is beaten down for a while by, uh, by both men before making the taste of Savoldi. And then Volkov flips him into Kosh's backbreaker for the Khrushchev's backbreaker for the submission win in at 143, 143. So any thoughts on this um, short squash match?
1: Uh, well, a couple thoughts. And, and Dick Ripietro, my, my, my hosting partner, would be upset if I didn't give Barry Darso a little love because he's the biggest Repo Man fan I've ever met. Um, Khrushchev looks, you know, he's great here. It's a short match, but it's excellent. He has a hilarious I love Russia T-shirt to yes, really put the, the, the turn to Sovietism over. And also, why is he carrying a shovel? I'm sure that, that that's been explained, but he's carrying this red shovel in the
0: ring. Oh, yes. Yeah. So last week they said um, from a from a promo from Houston, which is a little bit strange, um, not in the Mid-South Territory. So from Paul Bosch's territory, they said that they're going to carry a shovel around so they can bury some American wrestlers. Which is a, little, a little bit, a little bit dark and deep, but that's yeah, that's why they've got a shovel. So <laughs> okay,
1: I was wondering he's just standing there holding a shovel. But yeah, aside from that, I mean, I did love that Jr. got us into Joseph Oldie's amateur background, but uh, obviously he didn't have much chance to show that off in this squash match.
0: No, but I, I agree. I think Darso, um I've been really, really impressed. With. I mean, I, I always liked him in demolition, actually, uh, but obviously he's yep. a bit different from, from, from singles. But I think he's been, he's been very impressive, very solid striking. And actually, Volkov in some of the matches, he, I don't know if you noticed, but his finisher, this sort of gorilla press into a backbreaker thing, every week when I see his matches, I'm just hoping that the poor, is a poor opponent is going to have to take this move because it looks like he's going to kill him every <laughs> time he does it. Um, so yeah, it Nothing
1: brutal. Nikolai ever did looked smooth,
0: right? No, 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 no. And I, I do you know what? I didn't realize he, he was quite as, I mean, he just looks absolutely brutal in the ring, really. Yeah. Um, so, next up, we have the big one on this week's episode, the TV title tournament match between Terry Taylor and Masao Ito. Um, Ito has been largely very well protected during his run so far. Um, and during this one, basically, this is this is quite a long match um, with the with the main spot, Masao Ito. <laughs> has in quite place. a long list. Yeah, <laughs> explain, explain this spot that... That Ito had Taylor in what for what felt like about an hour. Are
1: we talking about the stomach claw here?
0: Yes. We talking <laughs> yeah, about so the stomach claw.
1: They're putting the stomach claw over like it's like the tongue and death grip or something. It's basically like a like an iron claw, but that's applied to the face, and you just. Grab somebody's stomach and twist your hand around.
0: Yeah, it was I mean I think I think Taylor fought out of it three times. I think it was bizarre. It's like digging I suppose if you grew your fingernails really long and dig it dug them in someone's stomach, it'd probably be pretty uncomfortable. But it's like Taylor's arms were free. I don't I didn't understand why he didn't just fight out of it. I was I was a bit disappointed with this one. Um, oh yeah,
1: this was this was not a good match. This no, was a bad it wasn't. And, and these
0: these tournament matches have been pretty good overall. And um, Ross was good on commentary here. He, he sort of I went, uh, went into Ito's um, background and so said the extensive martial arts training, but there wasn't all that much to it really. Um, basically, in the end, um, they, they bump the referee. Um, Ito throws Taylor over the top rope, and Taylor basically crawls under the ring and to the other as the ref makes his feet, and he sneaks in, gets the pin with a roll-up in 6.42. Um, Yeah, any any more thoughts on this one? I
1: I, I actually thought this was a really fun ending for what I thought was a bad match, Um, but I also found it ironic if we're talking about storytelling and quality control. Um, You know, JR on commentary is doing the traditional stereotypical kind of racism thing where the Asian person is mysterious, and the things they do, like a karate thrust, is apparently illegal? Uh, Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't... but what, the referee didn't do anything about that, did he? No, so but I, he was
1: like, there's a karate thrust to the throat. And I'm like, I didn't think that was illegal. And then no. when Terry Taylor's punching him, it's an all-American right hand. <laughs> <laughs> and so I found it funny that the the, the, the finish is the, the all-American red-blooded hero sneaking up on the other guy from behind and attacking him, right?
0: But, do you know uh, what? A couple of weeks back, they did um, they did an angle where Taylor, and, and this actually pays off later on. So Taylor and the Rock and Roll Express attacked Darso and paint him, uh, paint him okay. on the front. Um, and actually, the crowd was going nuts to this. I was like, this is the, the least babyface thing I've ever seen. But yeah. I, but my I the last week was explaining that actually, at the time, the, the te- I mean, it was people that were watching it apparently didn't feel awkward like the Sergeant Slaughter stuff later on. Apparently, it, it stayed, though it was distasteful to look back on it now. But yeah. He felt it, it stayed the right side, the right side of the line in terms of the right kind of heat. But apparently, sure. back then, the tensions were so high. But this sort, this sort of... I mean, wrestling's done this for hundreds of years, for the rights and wrongs of it, but apparently that the heat was right. And actually, even such a non-babyface move like that, like attacking a man um, shorthanded, was, you know, was considered a babyface thing. So it's, it's bizarre, really, when you think, when you look at that. Ooh,
1: I mean, you see the WWF at the same time, right? It's, yeah, like, yeah. totally okay for Hogan to, like, hit dudes with a chair, because if he's hitting the bad guy with a the chair, then it's fine, right? Like,
0: oh, Hogan was the biggest heel of all or something. Some of a uh, uh, Absolutely. Movies, yeah. You know, um,
1: so... Yeah. And the other thing I just wanted to say about the match was just like, yeah, Terry Taylor, what's the deal? Like I, you've, I've seen both things where he's this underappreciated, really great worker who should have been a top star. And I've seen other people, Bruce Pritchard necessarily, of course, famous for this, who think he's terrible. Um, I, uh, and I've always come down on Terry Taylor's bad. Uh, his, his matches are boring. He doesn't connect with crowds. Um, but you know, I wanted to ask you, especially since, uh, your, your previous guest in Oklahoma said he was really over like, uh, has he been, what have you seen watching him kind of week to week in this babyface run in
0: mid-south? Yeah, I mean, I think so far, he. The, 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 the difficulty is that there aren't any long, particularly long matches in this promotion, really, on television. You get the odds like this one, six and a half minutes or seven minutes is about the longest. He seems to be very popular. There was a really good video package of him um, a few weeks ago that was really, really well done. And he did, he did come off as a star, but I, I guess for me to make a judgment, I probably need a bit, a bit more time and see what happens with him. And obviously I'm familiar with the, with the Red Rooster stuff and a little bit of his WWE sure. run. Um, Terrence, yeah, are you familiar with the, Nancy- the, the, the Terence Taylor era? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, he, he seems very popular. And I was so interested with that Magnetier stuff because Magnetier to me just just... But then I wonder how much of this is... Because of everything we've heard about Terry Taylor and he's much derided sort of guy, uh, does that, absolutely does that pollute your mind a bit. And then Magnum right. T. right. And does
1: Magnum TA, it's like, um I can't remember who made the quote, but the famous quote like about Randy Rhodes that I never saw anyone become that much better a guitar player by dying. I mean yeah. that's very tasteless. But yeah. yeah. Uh, no, and Randy Rains right, Rhodes wasn't yeah. was, was an incredible guitar player, but it does make a valid point that those people who are cut down in their prime you know, you tend to you tend to fill in the blanks with how great they could have been with Terry Taylor. Yeah, it's the flip right. side. Right. So definitely. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, well, this is not the match. If you want to convince somebody that Terry Taylor was actually great, I,
0: you would not show them this. I think. No, I completely that. agree. So um, in ring after the break, we have Reza Bowden and he announces that next up we have the Express showdown. And uh, so Jim Cornette takes the mic and tells Reza to back off and then he says who are these two goons running around here calling themselves the Rock and Roll Express trying to make a name off the back of their names um, to him, they look like a couple of valley girls. I've never met a valley girl, but have you met any valley
1: <laughs> girls? They look like I'm them, pretty far so from anymore. from the, from the valley. Yeah, uh, you know that being in Southern California, but uh, you know, I mean, it was certainly an O'Caron cultural reference in 1984. Yeah. I think that's the same year that Frank Zappa's uh, "Valley Girl" song comes out with his oh, daughter okay. on vocals. That makes sense.
0: Actually, yeah. I've been to LA, so maybe I have met valley girls or not. You not probably known, have, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, you know, around here is the Ottawa Valley, which is a totally different type of valley girl.
0: I was that there's also a, a famous um, valleys in Wales as well. But that's probably a story uh, about valley girls. there. that's probably a story for, for another. another time, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so he introduces the Midnight Express to their great theme. And I noticed quite a number of the ladies at ringside are clapping along to this, even though they're obviously the heels um no matching
1: robes. well i mean when lover boy dennis comes out i mean it's you can't resist that right well, and swept the theme away.
0: so good as well it,
1: um, it is one of the all-time greatest themes yeah
0: yeah fantastic um, no matching robes here which is um niggling me to an unnaturally high level again they, have, <laughs> they seem to go between matching robes and not which i i don't like i wish i just commit to be matching um Fair. Yeah, so rock and roll is king hits, and and this is genuinely the biggest reaction I've seen on Mid South TV so far when these guys come out, and um, the crowd, particularly the women, just absolutely erupt. They go nuts. They do. Yeah, they go nuts. Matching outfits, which is good, um, and then Boyd Pierce says this is not said not to blink because it's going to be fast paced um so yeah i'm not going to go through this move by move i just i thought this was this was really fantastic few minutes while it lasted so what what did you think of this first mid-south showing of express versus express here
1: is this the first time on mid-south that's pretty cool this is the first Um, time in mid-south yeah because i felt cheated that i missed the big barry darso turns his back on america from the previous week so i i'm excited i got some history on this episode it's interesting uh dick and i both said on our show on five stars that that we don't see it with the rock and roll express and we think they're kind of overrated and lately by watching them on NWA power even Mm. though they're 30 years past their best i I, i'm starting to appreciate more what they bring as classic baby faces and one thing that neither of us have ever denied is these boys are over right like as you say the reaction that that ricky and robert get is just through the roof uh so clearly they're connecting with fans on on a very you know visceral level and yeah, this is good stuff. I mean, the Midnight Express are great in the ring,
0: and it's fun, fast-paced tag uh, tag action. Yeah, I think I think for me, the Rock and Roll Express thing is I, and I don't know if you, you feel the same, but I feel like the the vast majority of the bit of the Rock 'n' Roll Express stuff I've have seen, forgetting mod like modern day stuff, it's probably like mid to late nineties. And I think mm. that has kind of polluted my brain a bit to the, uh, to the, re- where the really the classic stuff. Um, most of it's probably gone. So I don't think any of their big Superdome shows were taped. I've, I've looked online and I can't find any of them. So those big, long matches they would have with the Express, um, with the Midnight Express, etc. I don't think a lot of them probably even exist.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, mm. and, and one of the reasons I love Mid-South so much... Um, you know, ironically because it's what did for the promotion is that you know I saw so many of these people later on right especially yes. in WWF and there's some people who I hated in WWF hacksaw Jim Duggan who I thought was just terrible as a kid mm. and then you go back and you watch his stuff in midsouth right and he's unbelievable um, you know butch Reed, same thing so I think if I watched you know more of this run in, um, in, in mid-south I'd probably get to appreciate them more because I have heard this as, as this as their absolute peak in terms of popularity anyways.
0: Yeah, definitely. So at, th- at 335 in this, Khrushchev and Volkov hit the ring, attack Morton. They hold him down and start cutting his hair with Ross doing a phenomenal job on commentary, <laughs> screaming.
1: Does uh, Ross Magnus. screaming, the Russians are cutting Ricky Morton's hair? Yeah.
0: It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It has absolute nuclear heat for this one. So Magden, TA and Terry Taylor make the save. I really like this actually Mid-South. So generally speaking, the baby faces, you know, in storyline terms are friends and will save one of their sort of mates. Inventions when yeah. one's in trouble. Well, I don't think that happens in modern day WWE enough. Um, when you get a face out that's killed, and there's just no explanations to why no one's coming out to help. I like this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, really good, um, if short, kind of uh,
1: NWA also does this well now. Yeah. NWA incorporates
0: it. it. And, and I think AEW to some extent because of, you know, the elite and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And I like that. I think when you're, when you've got yeah. um, stables, that does help with that sort of thing. It's, just, it's a natural storyline device and it doesn't, you don't have to do a 10 minute beat down on someone to get, to get you know, some of those are quite boring when they, when have done those in the past, especially on raw, et cetera. Um, so next up we've got hometown boy from Shre- Shreveport, Louisiana, Jake, the snake Roberts. And this is the first time I've seen him on South, actually. Oh, like, wow. Really? Before. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm not sure when he's missed out there because obviously his father, um, who by all accounts is quite an unsavory character. Chris Smith. Uh, absolutely. Is, uh, yeah. Yeah. his assistant booker and, and sort of TV matchmaker. Um, so he is up against Jason Walker. What did you think of Jake Roberts trousers here?
1: <laughs> I thought they were good. they were kind of, they're kind of weird karate guy trousers. You know, they're yeah, very I deep maroon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but rom- they
1: worked because everything he did was so kind of languid and weird that it makes sense that he's
0: dressed completely differently than everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I presume he's playing heel here. Um, oh I, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he was he was heel in his early run in WWF, wasn't he? So yeah, um, I don't know where the snake gimmick first started or where snakes first actually. Um, hit. I
1: think that's WWF because I think because okay? you know,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Vince is very literal and cartoony, right? Where so as Jake was like, I'm a snake because he, that's the way he moves and he's untrustworthy and, and it's sinister. Uh, Vince was like, well, you, you know what this would be cool is if you had an actual snake. So, yeah. I mean, worked, I saw Jake, the snake speak at the, at the Royal Canadian Legion here in Kingston a couple of years ago, just do an hour of standup and, uh, would definitely recommend it. If you get the chance to see him talk oh, live, guys. he's a mesmerizing storyteller and some hilarious stories about Randy Savage and Andre and stuff. So it was, and the snake. So it was a good time.
0: Oh, fantastic. So, um, an interesting point in commentary here. So Ross um, Hacksmith and Duggan has basically been missing after um, a beatdown.
1: I know, they don't know where he yeah. is. They're hearing yeah, reports that he's in Florida. Again, this is not something that could happen today. Well, you heard nice. maybe he's wrestling in Florida, right? You know, now yeah, you so just
0: get his Twitter update. So what, what this is, so um, my guest host, um, Phil Segal, last week, commented on this so basically ross on commentary says that hacksaw jim duggan um is wrestling in florida and he understands that his attitude has changed basically he's he's on tv in florida playing a heel and okay yeah at this time cable tv was becoming more prevalent so people in the mid-south area could see florida championship wrestling and see hacksaw jim duggan playing a heel so not everyone but a percentage of their audience could see this so this is this is a bit of a time where the imaginary walls between territories are coming down and people start. So around this time, people would have had access depending on where you lived and what cable system you had to world-class yeah. um, George championship wrestling, and also Mid-South, maybe some um, Mid-Atlantic as well. And our championship and, wrestling and from, from Florida, Florida was good. Yeah. 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 So, so that's
1: AWA that's was common. making it more and more widely.
0: Yes, yeah, so that, that's why this comment. So it's really interesting. Obviously, obviously, so different to what you'd get today. Um, so Roberts wins this one with a great-looking DDT in two oh one. Any, any sort of final thoughts on the Jake Roberts appearance here?
1: Honestly, it's. I, I think this is a great episode of TV. It's one of the reasons why I
0: love Mid South. You just get
1: forty-five like really great, well put together minutes. Um, but I think the Jake stuff is the best stuff on the whole show. Yeah, he was really good. He's so good. creepy and weird and languid, and he moves better than he would later. And and just the minute where he just kind of, like literally like a snake, just strikes and takes this poor bastard out with the short arm clothesline DDT, which at the time nobody had ever even seen. Uh, And then he just kind of like rolls out, just like, you know, to stagger off. Uh, It's just. It's great stuff, Bell, to, even before the bell
0: to after the bell. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, fan, it's fantastic. So two very, very quick segments just to run through here. So we've got Reed and Lanzar. Because we're already like, in our bonus matches. We are in our bonus matches. And I wonder how these guys feel about being in bonus matches. So, but <laughs> um, yeah. Not, probably not good. Butch Reed and um, Buddy Landell and George, versus George Weingoff and, and Lanny Poffo. So Lanny Poffo is making his return here, um, and he had been pushed reasonably well um, up until probably about six or seven weeks before this. Um, so in the end, um, Reed hits the gorilla slam um, before Landell hits the elbow for the win here. Any, any quick thoughts on this one at all?
1: Uh, what do you think of Buddy Landell in Mid South? Uh, has he been good? Uh, I know he's a guy who had a lot of
0: raw ability, and in flashes was great, but didn't see much from him in this match. No, and he stumbled a couple of times in this as well, didn't he? There was what there was one moment yeah. when he went into the ropes and it was a little bit rough. Hey, Joe you know What he had probably my favourite match in Mid South so far is him and Lanny Poffo in about seven minutes okay and, I, and, and with Jim Ross on commentary and Jim Ross did a fantastic job putting it I think it was the first round of the TV title tournament, actually and he put it over as like the bit the most important thing and I found myself actually crying. I'm actually really invested in this this match from sort of whatever it is 36 years ago so yeah uh, yeah no it was it was really really good And um, but I, I think there's more more to come from him and um, yeah we get we get a bit, bit of an odd video package afterwards basically where um, Ross, Jim Ross says they've, they've always said they have wrestled in front of some great fans. Middle <laughs> baggage is yeah, hysterical. It's Pine so, Bluff,
1: on the road to Pine Bluff, Arkansas.
0: Yeah. So it's set to apparently Joel Watts, um, Bill's son, put this together, and it's set to a song called "Down on the Corner" by Credence Clearwater Revival. Have mm-hmm. you got much Credence Clearwater Revival on your on your phone to listen to? Uh-huh.
1: Honestly, I am actually a huge Crean's Clearwater Revival fan.
0: Are you really? I am. Um, yes. That's, quite, that's fantastic.
1: I have a <laughs> bunch of their albums on vinyl. Uh, I think they're great. I was thinking there was absolutely no way they saw a cent of money for their use on oh, no television way. here this week. Oh, um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, so this is some video package, right? Yeah, yeah. So they just they show you the outside of the of the uh, convention center, some fans <laughs> coming for tickets, and then some action from a cage match with JYD and and Volkov. Um then we're back to the desk. Boy piss quickly. Well after, no, you I my favorite happened.
1: part of the video package is you get a very some very long shots of the inside like marquee of the convention center, which is just a very simple yellow bulb on black background. Uh, Just like really painfully long shots to say mid-south wrestling. And then they put Nikolai Volkov's uh, name up and they just butcher Nikolai. It's like there's more incorrect letters than correct ones
0: in there. It's just, it's just fantastic. I, you just wonder what they had this in their back pocket, and they're like, actually, I'm just, we just need to fill two minutes of TV time here at the end of a taping. Which are yeah. I understand they tape two episodes um, a weekly, so it wasn't a hugely long taping. Um, but, but that, that actually, I read that from a few years before. So they may have moved to four, four episodes in time by this, by this point.
1: I also think being with what I know about Bill Watts that he probably told the people of Pine Bluff that if he got a good deal on the venue, he'd put it over on TV. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, right. I, I, Maybe I agree knock a bit it. off the rental fee. And then you get some loving shots at the outside of the convention center. Well, it's, uh, it's a, yeah.
0: And it's a good, it's a good push for people to go to the, to the local shows as well. Cause obviously the, ha- the ha- house shows in inverted commas were much more important back then than they would, you know, there would be considered today, um, with the model, et etc. And um, so it's not, uh, too much to go off. There's a boy piece quickly runs down that next week we have JYD versus Kosha Khrushchev in the TV title. And that is it for this week of um, Mid-South Wrestling. So what did you think of this overall episode? Oh, this is tremendous. And I think
1: if somebody was looking to get into Mid-South, this would be a great jumping off point, this episode with what's coming and where, and where, where we're at. And some of the stars that you're seeing debut or come back. I, this is just fantastic. I
0: enjoyed the out of it. Oh, fantastic. No, I thought it was great. I thought the, the time was right for Magnum to strike back. Um, the attempted slap and catch was was perfect. Express mm-hmm. Showdown was great for what it was. Um, and Taylor Nieto was, a, was, was a, bit, a bit disappointing, but another really strong episode overall. And look out
1: for Barry Khrushchev and, and his shovel, man. They're, they're yeah, coming absolutely.
0: to bury you. What, uh, we're trying to avoid burying any wrestlers. So give us a, give us a quick plug again for your um, podcast and where people can find you on Twitter.
1: So you can find me on Twitter at God Till, which is just a spoonerism for uh, Journeyman Leafs defenseman Todd Gill. So that's at G-O-D-D-T-I-L-L. And the podcast is This Hour Has Five Stars. It's the number five. We released uh, our newest episode last week. Uh, So if you Google that or wherever you get your podcast, put that in the search bar and you will get our show. Uh, And I think if you like Mid-South and and Classic Wrestling, you'll enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, check it out.
0: Good stuff. Thank you so much for being on the show. We must do this again again in the future, definitely.
1: I'd love to. I had a great time, and this is an awesome podcast. So thanks very much for uh, no, having me
0: on, Stephen. Thank you very much. Cheers. Speak to you again again soon. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. thank you very much for listening to this week's episode if you've enjoyed the podcast please head over to itunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review which would absolutely make my day if you're interested in guest hosting please contact me via the mid south moments twitter account which is at mid moments and i look forward to speaking to you all again very very soon